Well, we're glad that you're with us this morning. We've had a lot of sickness in our congregation. Trust that people are going to be getting well soon. Let me pray for us as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank You that we can study Your Word. Thank You that we have the mind of Christ. Thank You we have the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. And thank You, Lord, for Your grace. And I ask today that You would give us a grace to hear from the Scriptures. I pray that You would give us a grace and courage to put into application in our lives the things that we see today. And I pray that You would give us grace to encourage others along the way in these spiritual matters. And we pray that You would guide us by Your Holy Spirit. And we ask in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. All right, first... We want to put something up here as a reminder, and that would be grace. Grace, God's grace is what will enable us to understand what's in the Scriptures. It's His grace that would give us the desire, the motivation to put it into practice So everything that we say today is going to be dependent upon God's grace. Now I want to ask the question as we consider the topic, enjoyment in the Christian life. Enjoyment in the Christian life. Why is it that so many Christians, or at least professors in Christ, would not seem to be enjoying life very much? Sometimes you can just see it on the countenance. I don't mean some particular something that's going on in the life, but just a kind of a kind of an overall grinding it out, a little bit of drudgery, uh, just trying to make it instead of the joy of our salvation that David talks about in the book of Psalms. Well, D. Martin Lloyd Jones, in his book on the studies of the Sermon on the Mount, gives some reasons why this might be the case. And I want to mention a couple of them, and then we're going to look at some things specifically. One would be the danger of being deceived by false prophets. There's a lot of teaching out there that says you could do this, you should do this, you shouldn't do this, all kinds of things. And unless we get the straight teaching of the Scripture, we're probably not going to be happy in the life we're trying to live, and we may be trying to live it in the power of the flesh. second thing he says is assuming that everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is in the kingdom of heaven. And you remember in Matthew 6 where this comes from. So some people who are professing Christ may not really have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And of course, that would be the source of joy. And the third reason is the danger of seeking the benefits and the blessings of salvation instead of really looking to the one who gives those things. And just thinking that because we have some of those blessings and because we're enjoying what looks like God's favor, that that would be the reason we could be assured that we're on the team and doing the things that we ought to do. So what would be the best remedy against these kinds of snares? Thinking that I'm doing one thing when really I'm not getting the job done in my heart. Well, I want to suggest to you a remedy. 
practical holiness. Practical holiness. Now that word holiness is kind of scary to some people sometimes, but we're going to try to get an everyday definition of that practical holiness. I'm not talking about monastic holiness where we crawl up on top of a 60-foot pillar on a little four-foot platform and live for the most part of 36 years like St. Simon the Stylite in church history. He must have had a pretty good ground crew to be up there all that length of time. If they went on strike or went to the ball game or something, that could be a disaster for a guy up on the pole. But it's not just forsaking the world and trying to get away from it all. It's not pietistic holiness where you would hear someone say, oh, you don't have to worry about abortion. If you just win everybody to Christ, abortion will take care of itself. Kind of a pietistic view of things. Not talking about that. I'm talking about practical holiness. What would practical holiness look like in our lives? When we say the word holiness, sometimes we get a kind of an idea of a holier-than-thou guy who goes around judging everybody by his own standards and you've got to do this and you can't do that and so forth. But I want to give you a positive definition that's found in Galatians chapter 5. If you'll open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Now, this would be very familiar to all of us, but I would suggest to you Herein lies the enjoyment in the Christian life. If you're experiencing these things, it's going to be enjoyable. If you're not, there may be some rough spots along the way. If you've got your Bible open, take a look in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness or meekness, Self-control against such things, there is no law. It's the fruit of the Spirit, the gracious habits that the Holy Spirit produces in our life. It's not a result of good fortune or something that we do or uh, some people are just endowed with a better temperament than our others. No, these are gifts of the Holy Spirit that come through grace. Now, don't forget the means of grace. If I'm applying the means of grace, I'm probably going to receive more grace. And if I take that grace and implement it, then I get more grace. If I resist God's grace, that grace may kind of wither down a little bit and it's more difficult to do the things that I ought to be doing. We found, uh, we lived back in Alabama, that it was very difficult to grow fruit. I mean, just start out with a little bitty small plant, just a seedling, and you plant that, and you try to take care of it, and you try to get off the bugs and the blight and the birds and everything. And one of the most dangerous things to our fruit trees was our Gravely tractor, a little small garden tractor that had the cutter, had the bush hog part out on the front end. And you would try to get up close to the little trees. But if you got an inch too close, zip, the whole thing was gone. And there was two or three years worth of work and waiting just, about, just like that. Now, we put protection around little trees so that they can be cared for and you don't run over them with a the lawnmower. We put protection around children 
as they are growing up so that they aren't influenced by the ideas of the world and these things that would pull them astray. But what if the influences that would lead them astray would be coming right out of their own home? Because usually there's more caught than taught. So what they're catching in the home is going to be very, very important. Are they catching the fruit of the Spirit in the home? Now, if you're watching television, or what may be true in a lot of instances where Dad is not really tuned in, instead of the fruit of the Spirit, you might get some anger, you might get some pessimism, or cynicism, or negativism, or sarcasm, or criticism. Now, we probably ought to put those on the board, but we don't have time for that. These things are related very closely to one another. But let's get some definitions for that anger. You guys should have been repairing my bicycle instead of thinking someday you'll fly like a bird. Or pessimism. It ain't going to fly, Orville. Or cynicism. You guys are chasing rainbows when you could have been doing something that counts in life. Or negativism. You ought to know something that heavy is not going to float up in the air. That's stupid. Or sarcasm. Why don't you guys just start eating some bird seed and maybe you can sprout feathers and then you'll be able to fly. Or criticism. If you spent all that time and energy and money on building a better bicycle, you'd probably be rich by now. So that would be the way these things work out practically. Now, if you're watching some comedy on television, if you're sitting around with a group of guys just somewhere, a lot of times these things would be funny. But they're not very funny to a wife or a mother if it's sarcasm, if it's criticism all the time, if it's negativism. So those are things that we want to watch out for in the home because young people are going to catch whatever they're seeing, whatever they're listening to, whether that's on television or live in person. Now, if this business of growing the fruit of the Spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, if it's so difficult, then why do it? <clears throat> why would we go to all that effort and work if it's so hard to do, why don't we just relax and be ourselves and just see what comes? There's a lot of teaching today that would say that's what we ought to do. In fact, if you're not following your own heart, you're a hypocrite. And if you're trying to live something that you aren't really feeling down inside, oh, that would be the worst thing in the world. But the Bible says in Proverbs 28:26, he is a fool who follows his own heart, trusts in his own heart. We know that the old self is clouded by sin, and if we're following our old nature, we're probably going to get into some problems. So <clears throat> no matter what the world says about that, we have to be aware that the world is not always giving us the right answers. By the way, is sin fun? 
<clears throat> is sin enjoyable? Yes, it is really enjoyable until uh, the cost comes in and you have to start making the payments. So we have to be careful about judging by appearances. Uh, you can see people who seem to be enjoying life very well who are following, yeah, thank you, <clears throat> who are following some of the worldly philosophies of just follow your own heart, just do whatever feels good, and that's the way God made you, and that's the way you ought to be. But God tells us in the Scripture some other things that would be contradictory to that. So let me give you uh, two reasons. <clears throat> Excuse me. Two reasons for <clears throat> practical holiness. And these would be very important reasons. The first reason is it is commanded in Scripture. Now, sometimes we don't care for that word command because it sounds like some kind of tyrant who's banging everybody into submission. But if God is truly God, and He's a loving God, and He's done what He's done for us in terms of providing salvation and redemption through the blood of Christ, then we ought to be willing to follow His commands if we understand that He's designed this way of life so that we would be joyful, so that we would have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. It's not going to really happen any other way. Oh, we can have some fireworks or some excitement or some fun, but if you really want enjoyment in the long run, it's going to come through practical holiness, I do believe. Hey, let me give you some verses here. Romans 8.13 If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what we're suggesting is, Put off the deeds of the flesh, and we're going to look at some of those, and put on love and joy and peace and patience and all those things in the list there. Here's another one. Galatians 5.24. This is the very next verse after the fruit of the Spirit. But now, <clears throat> excuse me, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And we'll say a word about what that means to walk in the Spirit. Here's another one, Colossians 3, and beginning in verse 8. Now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, some of those things that fall in the pessimism, criticism categories. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its Creator. In fact, the whole New Testament, the, the teaching of the entire New Testament would say, whoever claims to be in Christ must walk as Jesus walked. We don't walk in that way perfectly, but through the power of the Spirit and His grace, we can walk in such a way to follow Him and people can say, hey, there's something different about that guy's attitude at work. 
there's something different there. It's love and joy. And I see some peace, a peaceful expression on his countenance and whatever else it might be. Now, here's the question. Which fruit of the Spirit do you think would be essential in order to grow all the others? You've got them there in your Bible. You can take a look at the list. Obviously, the first one is going to be very important. But which one do you think would be essential if we're going to grow all the other fruit of the Spirit? Noah didn't have it, at least after the flood. Eli didn't have it. David didn't have it on occasion. Solomon didn't have it. His wives turned his heart away after other gods. Jonadab, the son of Rechab, evidently did have it. And it's the quality of self-control. The last fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Because here's our proposition. If you don't have self-control, you can easily lose the other things that you're aiming toward. Like kindness, for instance. What if something happens that just sets off your temper or whatever may be in there and all of a sudden it is unkindness instead of kindness? But if you have self-control, then you can say, you know, the Lord must have a purpose in this little test that I'm encountering right now. And I'm going to do my best through the power of the Spirit and His grace to respond in the way that Christ would respond. Obviously, we can't always hit it in the bullseye 100%, but that's what we're moving toward. That would be our goal. Now, back in Galatians 5, we're going to take a look at some things that tend to happen in the life when we don't have any control over our spirit. In fact, Proverbs 28, 25, 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Now, we're not talking about stoicism. We're just going to grit my teeth and just put up with whatever it is and go on with my business. No, we're talking about truly the fruit of the Spirit down inside. Now, let's look at that other list. There are 14 such lists like this in the New Testament. Christ gives some to the Pharisees. Paul gives a whole bunch of them. And you can go down the list and you might say, whoa, I'm not as bad as that. I don't do that. But remember, these things come out of the heart. And they start with just a thought. And then I'm thinking that thought a little bit more. And then over a period of time, it might be years, it bubbles up out of my heart through my mouth or through my actions. Well, the first three in the list have to do with immorality. Number one, this is in Galatians chapter 5, right in front of the fruit of the Spirit in verse 24, uh, in verse 21, 2021 is going to be. Sexual immorality, first thing on the list, porneia. That includes adultery and some other things we won't mention at this time. Impurity and then indecency or debauchery. You could barely look at television without seeing indecency 
or debauchery. Then the next two on the list have to do with idolatry. There's idolatry. Remember, greed is idolatry, the worship of self. And then witchcraft or sorcery. The word is pharmakia. It means to mix up as a spell, mix up a spell as a pharmacist mixes medicine. It might be a spell of anger. It might have something to do with the occult, but it's uh, the same as witchcraft. First Samuel 15:23, an alarming verse. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Any young people ever been in rebellion against parents? Now, obviously, that's not bowing down to a totem pole, but how is it as the sin of witchcraft? It produces the same effect in your heart. So he goes on. The next eight deal with rivalry. Rivalry. What's wrong with rivalry? Well, an interesting verse, Ecclesiastes 4.4. Every labor and skill which is done under the sun is done as a result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. It's that idea that I am better than you. I have more money than you because I'm smarter than you. And whatever it may be, whatever basis of comparison there might be, and here's the list. Hatred or hostility. Discord or wrangling. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Fits of rage, same thing. Selfish ambitions, dissensions or divisions. Factions, that would be excuse me, heresy. Choosing to select a different form of worship or go about living the Christian life in a different way than the Bible says. And envy. The derivation of that means to decay or to wither away. It's pain when others are excelling in something or when others are happy. I am envious of them. And the last two have to do with inebriety, that is drunkenness or orgies. Comus, the word there, comes from the Greek word komus, which is the god of feasting and revelry. And with sacred rite to get drunk at the feast, and commit all kinds of debauchery. Now, following that, in contrast, we have the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, we want to do three things quickly here. We want to ask, self-control, what is it? What is self-control? And then we want to ask, why is it necessary for us to have self-control, practice self-control, and then how do you get it? Self-control, what is it we've said that it's not self-indulgence, which would be the philosophy of much of our world today. No, it's something different. It goes against my old nature. It's in accord with the new nature. Have you ever wanted something very badly? that you had a case of the got-to-haves. And you weren't worried about the cost because there would be ways that you could get it without worrying about the cost. And you could have it right now. Have you ever wanted something like that? I can look back and I can think about a 650 Triumph motorcycle. Everybody ought to have a chrome horse, shouldn't they? 
Yes. 650 Triumph. And then there was a 350 Camaro. Back in those days, we used the term 50 because it sounded kind of nifty. You know, like a 950 BMW chrome horse. That's when you're moving on up to scale a little bit. And you would really want those things. But then I found out when I got it, it was nice. But then I had to start making the payments. And after about three years, that Camaro didn't look so hot anymore or whatever it might have been. But the payments are still coming. So sometimes self-control would enable us to think about something, think about the cost that that would cost us in our lives, and to be able to make a decision based on thought and maybe the guidance of the Holy Spirit rather than just desires. See, uh, feelings relate pretty heavily in this matter. And if I'm on that other list, feelings are going to be prominent. I'm going to be doing what I feel like doing. If somebody makes me mad, I'm going to show them how mad I am. And so forth on down the line. I'm just kind of living out my desires according to my feelings. So that would be a part of self-control, would be thinking through things and being able to come to a rational or logical or even supernatural conclusion based on God's Word, based on His principles, and things that might kind of save me a little bit down the line. Like that verse that says, the borrower is servant to the lender. And uh, many times I can think back, I was the servant, and if I hadn't gotten into that, I wouldn't have been the servant. And I didn't want to be the servant in some cases. W.E. Vine defines self-control in his Dictionary of New Testament Words. He says this, the controlling power of the will under the operation of the Spirit of God. Now, obviously, if there are things in your life that grieve the Holy Spirit, then you won't be under control of the Holy Spirit. Because to be under the control of the Spirit, you've got to have short accounts with sin, and you've got to have a clear channel of communication with the Spirit. Does it sound like I'm teaching the same things over and over and over again? Well, these are the basics. And these are where we usually stumble. So there's a connection between right thinking in your mind and self-control. Let me suggest here what we're talking about. Self-control is when I think about what God wants instead of just what I want. Now, I'm not saying that what you want is a sin. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. But when something comes on the scene there that just looks like a case of the got to have brewing, I want to come to the Lord and say, Lord, what about this decision? What about this direction? Uh, do you want me to go over here to this city and do this and start a business and go to school, whatever it might be? It's putting God in the first place to seek His guidance and His leadership. Sometimes He'll just let us go off on our own, kind of as a test, I guess, uh, so that we can see uh, when we get what we thought we wanted that it might not be as pleasing as we considered it to be. The next thing, self-control, is when I think about the cost of what I want. Those 15 items on Paul's list, they'll cost you your life. 
sometimes incrementally. But it can certainly cost you your spiritual life and maybe even your physical life later on. Self-control is the ability to focus one's thoughts and actions and desires in the right direction toward Christ, even when the pressure is pushing me in the other direction. And we have a lot of pressure now in our culture. And sometimes we have pressure in churches among Christians because there are a lot of ideas now out there about how you ought to enjoy the Christian life and what you should be able to do and not do. And that's the reason we want to stay real close to the Bible. Then uh, self-control is really self-management or self-government. Now, here's the proposition. I've given it. It is that if we have self-control, it might be a little easier to hang on to the joy and peace and kindness and goodness and those other things. So, if self-control is so important, why didn't it come at the top of the list? Self-control, love, joy, peace, so forth. Well, we mentioned the fact that self-control has to come out of the heart. And it can't be just a stoic response of the will where I say, I'm just going to... Now, that might be better than shooting the guy, for sure. But it needs to come out of a heart of love. And if I have that number one in the list, love, love of God, love of others, if I've got that in my heart, and I really understand what that means, love is not a feeling. Love means acting in the best interest of another, even without regard to feeling. And that's agape love. And so if I have that in my heart, then I can stop and catch myself and say, now wait a minute, what would be the loving thing to do? What would be the kind thing to do? So the mark of a Christian is love, because that's what has to flow out of my heart. Now, self-control is a critical factor in Christian living. Have any of you read John Bunyan's story, The Holy War? Well, maybe you remember. The great King Shaddai designed the protection for the city of Mansoul. And there was a wall around the city that was impenetrable. And this wall had five gates. Eye gate, ear gate, nose gate, mouth gate, and field gate. And the only way the wall could be breached was if someone opened the gate from inside. Sounds pretty safe to me. The enemy can't come in unless someone from inside opens the gate. But Diabolos is a crafty fellow. He's an angel, a fallen angel, was an angel. And he's been studying the human heart for thousands of years. So one day he came close to the wall because he wanted to give a message to the people of Mansoul. And they could hear outside, and so they came a little closer to be able to listen to what he was saying. And Captain Resistance came closer to the wall so he could be sure he was hearing what Diablos was saying. But he got too close to the wall and he received a mortal wound 
and that was the end of Captain Resistance. And the gates were open, and Diablos was invited in. Can you imagine that? He doesn't have to storm the gates. He's invited in from inside. I've often wondered if John Bunyan got all these insights just because he had so much time to think about it, sitting there in the prison for 12 years. But he had some pretty good insights into the Christian life. And sure enough, that's the case for us. So if you're Captain Resistance, or even some of the people, you've got to stay back away from the wall where the enemy is shouting over these good possibilities for you and the little plan that he has designed for you. Now, if you were Diablos in the year 2014, what would you do? Well, you know what you would do. We've talked about it before. You would design an electronic device about big as half your hand, one that you could carry anywhere. And you could just touch the screen and every kind of awful thing there has ever been, and some you didn't even know about, would come up right on the screen. I tell you, Diablos is a pretty shrewd character. He's got the things that would appeal to every generation that comes along. By the way, does anyone here know how to talk to the devil? Don't ever get in a conversation with the devil. You'll get whipped every time. He's pretty smart. He's supernaturally smart, more so than we. We have the power of Christ. But he is tricky as well. Now, the first thing that you ought to do is run like Joseph did. But if you have to give an answer, then you ought to do like Christ did and answer with the Scripture. And that's the reason we've got that sword of the Spirit and we try to memorize it and meditate on it so that we'll be able to give an answer. When that thought comes to my mind, if you can't think of a Scripture, you have one in your pocket that you can just whip right out and turn to and you've got it right there. Because that's going to be the way to resist the devil as he um, tries to bring these tricks against us. Well, we've said the proposition, self-control is necessary so that we can maintain the other fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's the acquisition. How do you get self-control and how do you keep it? You probably need to begin with an evaluation of yourself, self-evaluation. Am I truly a Christian? Because as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, many, quoting Christ, many will come to that on that day and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these good things. We went to first light every Sunday morning. We had a smile on our faces, our ministry smile when we went to church. And, but he would say, depart from me, I never knew you. And the reason was what was going on in the heart was different from the outward appearance. Remember, judging by outward appearance, that's, that's not the way God judges. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. By the way, if you're thinking about getting married sometime, you ought to be sure you're specializing in looking at the heart to see what's going on down in there. Because sometimes you can cover those things up pretty well. How do you acquire self-control? Well, i got a couple of ideas here. The first would be, Ask God to give you a vision for victory. 
you got to want it. A good coach gets the guys in the locker room and he gives them a vision for winning the game or winning the tournament or whatever it is. And if you don't have that, you've got to ask God for it. Give me a vision of putting off that old self and getting that new attitude toward things. I, I can control myself and putting on the new self. Then here's, here's another one. You have to come to a time in your life where you just can't stand it anymore. Getting whipped by sin is just so distasteful that you just hate it. Had you rather have guys on your team that like to win or guys that can't stand to be beat? I'd take that second group any time. They just can't stand to be beat. They're going to do whatever it takes to win. And spiritually speaking, we've got to get to that attitude because if we have a take it or leave it, yeah, I'd like to do better. Maybe in the new year I'll turn over a new leaf. No, we've got to get tired of getting whipped by the enemy or the old nature or whatever it may be, combination usually of things. Sometimes Satan doesn't even have to suggest anything because I'm cooking it up right in here. And he just said, let me get out of the way and let this guy go. He's, he's heading my direction. Another possibility. You have to realize that sin always begins with the temptation to open the gates. Open the gate. Open ear gate, particularly. Or eye gate. And let it come in. Curiosity is a big factor. What are they doing out there in the world? Man, I never heard of that. Well, look at this. Did you see so-and-so and so-and-so? Some weird thing that people are into. Be careful opening up the gates and just letting it come on in. Now, where does Satan like to attack? We've talked about this. I will assure you that he likes to attack your weaknesses. If you've got some weak area, if you're a young person, your parents may be able to help you figure out if you've got a weak area. He's going to certainly attack there. That's just good military strategy. But guess what else he's going to do? He's going to attack your strengths. And he's going to find a guy that's pretty strong in a certain area, and he's going to hit him right there. And people are going to say, Oh, I can't believe that. He hit him right in his strength. Well, you can get ready because that's where he's coming with the attack. You don't know which is going to be, so you've got to shore up both. And don't ever get to that place where it says, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. I mean, to that place where you're thinking you stand. Well, he attacks through your feelings. And through your feelings, he can influence the understanding and the will and the conscience. Emotions have to be governed by the will, which in turn is controlled by the mind the mind appeals to the conscience. The spirit is in control of the conscience. Now, if you are mighty in spirit, then you've got some resources right where it begins. The conscience, the emotions, the will. Then you can control your feelings and do what? Act your way into a good feeling instead of feeling your way into acting badly because of a bad feeling. The world does it just the opposite. If it feels good, do it. Then regret it later. 
that you just banged that guy in front of you and was waiting for the traffic light, the guy that just cut you off. See, the world is pretty good at that. Just, man, I don't feel so good. I'm just going to ram that guy. Bam! That'll let him know. Well, it doesn't work well that way as the policeman is standing over on the corner there. It has to be maintained through God's grace in our lives. So the spiritual controls the physical and the mental and the emotional and all of that. So if I'm in pretty good shape spiritually, I've got a better chance of self-control. Self-control is not just habit. Now, habit may do pretty well, and children may be taught to control themselves, don't shout out in church or something. But when you get a little older, it's got to come from the Spirit because habit will play out. Because there will be some desire that comes that overrides habit in a moment. You know what I'm talking about. Now, open your Bibles here. We're kind of winding down. Open your Bibles to uh, James chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I want to say that a powerful ally of self-control is, any guesses? Accountability. That's the reason God gives us parents, isn't it? little child learning how to control himself. Well, he doesn't have any parents. He doesn't have to control himself. He's just running wild. You may have seen some children like that down at Walmart. But at any rate, God gives us parents and we have accountability. And He uses that in our lives to help us develop self-control. What if you're um, grown and you've moved out away from your family and you don't... You're not talking to your dad on the phone every day. Then you better look up some other accountability. And certainly it would be available. Here we are in James chapter 4, and beginning in verse 7. Here would be a spiritual strategy toward helping ourselves in this matter of self-control. And we'll run down through these pretty quickly. We'll hit the spiritual. Then we'll talk about, a little bit about the mental, the physical, the social. And then we're done with a quote from Matthew Henry. Okay, here's the verse. Does everybody have the verse? Submit yourself to God. Okay, I'm just going to list the things that I see in those verses. First, submit yourself to God. Stop pretending that nothing's wrong. It'll just go away. It's not that big a deal. Submit yourself to God. If you can submit to your earthly father, you might be able to submit to your heavenly father. Now, I know there are all kind of extenuating circumstances with earthly fathers, but Scripture says our earthly fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our holiness, practical holiness, that we may share in His holiness. Next thing, resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Go to the Scriptures quickly. Break the thought pattern. Four seconds to break the thought pattern. Resist the devil. Instead of self-pity, go for self-sacrifice. Instead of loneliness, get busy helping someone less fortunate than yourself. Instead of revenge, think of a way to overcome evil with good. That's what God does, and that's what He tells us to do in the book of Romans there. Instead of worrying about tomorrow, Go to work on responsibility of today. Instead of focusing on yourself, start reaching out to others. Instead of sinful actions, choose 
to get on the road to righteousness. And when you stumble, get up, shake it off, confess it, get back on the road. Here's number three. We've had to submit yourself to God, resist the devil. Number three, draw near to God. How do you do that? You go out on a beautiful day, creation, the mountain grandeur. Oh, God. Oh, I love you, God. Well, you might, you might do that. I don't know. But, but how can you do it right at your house? You may not have any mountains at your house. Well, you get into the Scripture and you delight yourself in the Lord, the means of grace. And you talk to Him and you listen and all those things that we're talking about all the time. Draw near to God. And guess what He will do? He did this for Joseph. He will draw near to you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Now you don't want to say, oh, look at me, I have drawn near to God. Because it's His grace. It's His grace if I draw near to God. But if He gives me the grace to draw near to Him, I want to get closer and closer and closer to show Him that I care about that grace. I want to utilize that grace. Lord, keep it coming. I want more and more grace until the day I step off this planet. I'm going to be a lot closer to Christ than I was when I was 18 years old or whatever it might be. Next thing. Uh-oh. Cleanse your hands. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands. Now that's talking about your actions. Clean hands and a pure heart. Ascend into the hill of the Lord. And to do that, to cleanse my hands, I've got to repent. So if you take a note, you might want to just put repent in parentheses there. Because in order to get some clean hands, I'm going to have to repent of dirty hands. And I'm going to have to get them cleansed. And that's the way I get them cleansed is by confession and then the forgiveness that God gives. And then this goes right along with it. Purify your heart. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Because if my heart is not pure... My hands are not going to be clean. If I don't have self-control in my heart, if I don't have some of those other things in my heart, I'm probably not going to be able to practice self-control outwardly. Now, don't forget, in terms of self-control, we always think about anger. But there are two parts of anger. There's blowing up and there's clamming up. Because some people just go into the grudge mode. Well, that's anger too. So either one. God can take care of either one. Okay, cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. Number six, afflict yourself. Ooh, that sounds pretty bad. Do I do like the uh, flagellans? Uh, what are those guys called that beat themselves? And You know, you've seen pictures of them in some foreign country there, some Hindu or something, and sitting on a bed of cactus, they're afflicting themselves. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about that as a result of whatever you've been doing, some sin, you're willing to suffer hardship. You're willing to suffer affliction. You're willing to do whatever it takes to overcome that. If your dad has told you, now don't play ball on this side of the house, and you continually play there with the neighborhood guys, and you knock the ball through the window and break it, then what do you do? Man, I don't know who did that. I can't imagine anybody playing ball over there. No, you would own up to it and then you would suffer the affliction, the hardship that may be coming. Maybe you've got to earn money to pay for the window. 
Maybe you get a little uh, chastening at that time. Whatever it is, you accept the hardship. You accept the toil or distress or affliction. Hey, number seven, mourn over your sin. Now, don't mourn over your sin too long because there's some people who just seems like they're in a state of mourning all the time. They're just not happy with anything. No, mourn over your sin, which means to be grieved because of your sin. Ask God to forgive it and move on, accepting the clean slate that He gives us. He takes away the guilt of our sin. He takes away most of the consequences of our sin. Certainly the eternal consequence. And sometimes there may be some temporal consequence, but hey, that's okay. I'm not in hell. And then number eight, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and what will He do? He will lift you up in due time, it says in First Peter there. So we've got submit yourself, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, purify your heart, afflict yourself, mourn over your sin, humble yourself. And, of course, ask forgiveness. Now, that'd be the spiritual. Now, there are a lot of verses like that in the Scripture and a lot of things you could go to. But quickly, here's the mental. Throw out the TV and the Internet. If that's what's causing the problem, just throw it out. Just get rid of it. Some people say, oh, I couldn't live in this day without it. Well, better that than lose the battle of sin. Books, magazines, trashy stuff. Just get rid of that stuff. It's temptation. Physical, this one will not cost you a dime. If there's some sin you can't conquer, take uh, lust, for instance. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? If you're lying in bed at night, it's 10 o'clock, it's a temptation of lust. Get up, put on your running shoes, run five miles, hard as you can. Come back. You'll be so tired. Now, if it doesn't work the first night, do it two or three nights running. And then if that still doesn't work, if you're having a problem, say, with lust, go on a water fast. And just fast, just with water, it won't kill you. Fast until you come to the conclusion that I have the victory here. And then you go back. Be careful not to eat too much that first time around. And then if you give in to the temptation again, just start fasting again. Just say to your body, Anytime we get into this sin to your, to your mind, we're going to just start fasting. And we're going to fast until we've got victory. Do you think your body will get the message? I'll tell you, your body will get the message. So, what I'm talking about is whatever it takes in the physical area. If it takes, don't go to this part of town or buy this person's house or whatever it is. Then the... Um, Social kind of blends into that. Stay away from bad influences. Get some help in doing what is good. Find some people that are going in this direction instead of telling you that it's all right to go in this direction. When the Bible is right there giving you a list of things that we know that we shouldn't be involved with. Find some people. You can find some people in books. Some people who conquered these things. Some of the great heroes of the faith. Some of the men and women who are living the kind of life that is what God called us to live. I would encourage you in that. Now, what if you still just can't control yourself? Well, God is gracious. 
He's given us some things to help us control ourselves. He's given us the civil authorities, the law. If you just can't control that accelerator, they will help you to be able to control yourself. Broken health. Broken health is something that will get our attention. The problem is, after we have indulged in whatever substances that are going to be bad for the body, usually it's a period of time before the health problems come. So be careful. That's one of the things God has put in place to remind us that we better exercise self-control. I don't need to be tooting this margiweenie because it's not good for my body. And then uh, debt. If I've got more bills than I can pay because I'm in debt, well, that might be some indication that I need to pay off some things or whatever. And then God gives us people who help us. Parents, teachers, coaches, all kinds of folks who will help us exercise self-control. You want to be a great athlete? Your coach will help you exercise self-control. I want to close now with this quote from Matthew Henry. Good old Matthew Henry. He has a good way of putting things, and here's what he says. Now remember before we do what we're talking about, the proposition self-control will help you with the other fruit of the Spirit. The acquisition. We talked about how to get it. And now we want to close with this. The best remedy against the poison of sin is to walk in the Spirit, to be much in conversing with spiritual things, to mind the things of the soul, which is the spiritual part of man, more than those of the body, which is his carnal part, to commit ourselves to the guidance of the Word, wherein the Holy Spirit makes known the will of God concerning us, and in the way of our duty to act in a dependence on His aids and influences. And those things would be what we call the means of grace. And I suggest to you that if you're seeking to do that, you're going to know the true enjoyment of the Christian life. You might be sad when you stumble, but you can pick up from that and go on to do better next time. And that will put joy in your heart and a smile on your face. Who wants to pray for us? Beecher? Good, I saw that hand. All right, here we go.